Welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one small slice of American writing using the Library of America as my source material. And in this episode, I am going to continue my examination of Willa Cather's novel, The Song of the Lark. Um, I have already looked at the Troll Gardens and Old Pioneers, and now I'm well into the second volume of the great, what's called, sometimes called the Great Plains Trilogy, which is Song of the Lark, Old Pioneers, and My Antonia. Now, this episode is going to be ra- rather short because I'm, I'm just going to look at part two of, of Song of the Lark. Um, it's not quite 100 pages, but then my previous episode was a little bit more than 100 pages, so, that, so it, it kind of evens out in the end. But um, I'm going to take it slow, and I'm going to have two more follow-up episodes where I'll look at the final parts of, of Song of the Lark. Those will be a little bit more substantial. But here I'm just gonna um, kind of round off the round off the the page numbers here, and, and I'm gonna do that just by looking at uh, part two. Now, part two of the novel is called "The Song of the Lark." Um, this reference I didn't mention in the previous episode, but the reference is to the painting. The painting is by Jules Breton. Um, Jules Breton was one of those French 19th century painters who was really interested in painting like uh, scenes of peasants, peasants at work, you know, a lot of um, pictures of peasant girls. I, you know, I don't know, there's kind of a, a, a fad for pictures of peasant girls in, in, in the later 19th century France. I don't quite know why. I'm not an art historian. Uh, but this is a rather nice painting, and you can find it. It's often on the cover of the novel. Um, you go to the Wikipedia entry for Song of the Lark, the novel, you find the painting there. Um, and why is it here? Well, you know, it is does got that kind of pastoral countryside scene, which, you know, it's it's not quite where our main character, Thea, grows up. She grows up more kind of in the mountains in, in Colorado um, and not quite in the kind of place that, you, you know, you experience in old pioneers in Kansas. Right. It's even though it, it must be a scene from France. It, you know, it does have more of like a Kansas, Nebraska kind of feel to it than, than a Colorado field feel. Um, but anyways, she does see she actually goes because this this painting is housed in Chicago and it was housed in Chicago at the time that the novel set. So she actually goes to the, the museum and sees this painting and has some reflection on it. And I'll talk about it when we get to that point. Um, but anyways, part two of, of Song of the Lark is basically about. Her, Thea, our main character, continuing her education in Chicago after leaving Colorado. And then, you know, her experience with her teacher and we see her her dedication really flourish as she learns to be a great pianist. And then we see by the end of this section how she starts getting pushed um, by her teachers into cultivating her voice, kind of which is her natural talent, but it hasn't really been schooled. Um, now, if we remember earlier on in the story, in part one, there's that scene at the kind of the Christmas Eve concert at her church where she played music that was kind of over everyone's head and it was well done, but no one really understood it and they were kind of bored by it. And then this kind of competitor comes up and sings religious songs, right? And so she kind of got beat out by a voice performer even though she's a she's got a much better voice it's just that she was trained being trained in piano and that's where her focus was on so her voice is a little bit untrained and unschooled 
but she gets you know her teachers find out that this is where she is going to excel and so they push her into into being essentially an opera singer so she, then she has to learn Italian and German and she gets you know she has to cultivate this new instrument yet some of her teachers think she has this advantage because she is she's got kind of a background in piano and, and in music theory that maybe other singers don't so that's so it's basically about her making this section is about her making it on her own in Chicago so I'll, you know that's kind of that's that's basically what happens I'll, I'll start with um, a few more details in a moment now this part two is in 11 different parts so I can kind of go through them uh, a little bit um, one by one um, but as we recall in part one we're introduced to Thea, Thea uh, Kronberg as a young woman in Colorado uh, right at the moment when her baby brother Thor is, is being born um, she, you know, basically grows up and gets educated, and that's that's kind of the story of the first part. But it focuses a lot on how, especially as she becomes a teenager, how the ties to Colorado start to break down, right? Her emotional ties, her religious ties, um, her family ties, and even eventually her artistic ties, right? So kind of a couple things happen. One is she loses the things that could keep her in Colorado, and she also learns that Colorado is not going to be the place, especially the small town she's from, which is very gossipy, very uh, parochial. It's not going to be a place where she can really cultivate her art, uh, her interest in music and her, her talent in music. So um, something tragic happens. It's, it's Ray, a friend of hers, Ray Kennedy, actually a man who wants, wanted to marry her in the future, dies in a train accident. But he knew that she was best off maybe venturing out into the world. So he wrote into his like life insurance policy that she'd benefit from it. And she was given a couple hundred dollars, which would be more than enough to get her settled in Chicago. So without really having anything tying her to Colorado anymore, she decides to to venture out to Chicago to see if she can make, you know, make her way as an artist there and get a proper training, right? And she's really encouraged by her, her childhood friend, Dr. Dr. Um, Archer, Archie, Dr. Archie, who, you know, comes to have feelings for Thea as well uh, over the course of the novel. He actually accompanies her all the way to, to Chicago. Now, as someone from Wisconsin, I have to say I really love the, the opening um, passage of part two of Song of the Lark. Um, quote, Thea and Dr. Archie had gone from Moonstone four days. On the afternoon of the 19th of October, they were in a streetcar riding through the depressing, unkempt wastes of North Chicago on their way to call upon the Reverend Lars Larson, a friend to whom Mr. Cronenberg had written, end quote. So, yeah, North Chicago is a, is described here as a depressing, unkempt wasteland. Um, and I don't, don't know how much of it's changed. I don't spend much time in Chicago, but um, there it is. So the first people she meets in Chicago are is the family of Reverend Lars Larson. Larson was a, a friend of of Thea's family, um, so they knew each other. They're they're both kind of they're both from the Swedish background. They kind of, both from their religious background. In fact, we get a little description of Lars Larson. Quote, he was a reactionary Swede. His father had come to Iowa in the 60s, married a Swedish girl who was ambitious like himself, and they moved to Kansas and took up land under the Homestead Act. After that, they bought land and leased it away from the government, acquired land in every possible way. They worked like horses, both of them. Indeed, they never had used a horse 
any horse flesh they owned as they used themselves. They reared a large family and worked their daughters and sons as mercilessly as they worked themselves. All of them but Lars. Lars was the fourth son and he was born lazy. He seemed to bear the mark of overstrain on the part of his parents. Even in the cradle, he was an example of physical inertia. Anything to lie still. When he was a growing boy, his mother had to drag him out of bed every morning and he had to be driven to his chores. At school, he had modeled attendance record because he was found getting his lessons early easier than farm work. He was the only one the family went through high school, and by the time he graduated, he had already made up his mind to study for the ministry because it seemed to him the least laborious of all callings, end quote. You know, I just mentioned that, that this reminds me a lot of the family and old pioneers, you know, that really taking advantage of the free land and then, you know, expanding through hard work, the land holding created a nice little um, setting for himself. In fact, this, you know, that character Emil, maybe, I don't guess Emil wasn't lazy, really, but... He wasn't kind of made for the land so much. That's why he was always wandering about. Um, so I don't know. But but that's our description of Lars. But I just think the family reminded me of the family we meet in, in Old Pioneers. But Larson's important for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is he helps, you know, direct Thea to boarding houses. And she's going to go through different boarding houses in her time in Chicago. And, you know, it's, it's a major concern, of course, for a young woman, you know, trying to study. Uh, trying to, you know, in a, in a city that's not her home, you know, away from her family. And that's something Larson helps her with. The other thing Larson helps her with is by giving her work, essentially. So she'll sing in the choir. She'll sing for funerals. She'll, you know, do other kind of performances for, you know, for Larson's for the church. And this gives her a kind of a steady income, you know, because she was making money back in Moonstone as a, you know, back in Colorado as as a teacher, she wasn't going to really make it as a teacher in Chicago, a very, very different environment. But as a singer, she was going to be able to make it. And the fact that she's singing constantly is, is what her piano teacher is going to suddenly be exposed to and learn that not only is she a talented musician and a hardworking, dedicated artist, you know, she has this amazing voice that really would be a, it'd be a way it would be scandalous to squander. So Lars is is kind of there to help settle Thea in in Chicago while she pursues her education and and then we meet the her teacher I think this is in part three of of, of section two or it would be section three of part two chapter three of part two whatever um, we meet her teacher his name is Andor Harsani and he's he's teaching piano right so she's still going I mean she's not going to Chicago to learn to cultivate her voice, she's still a piano, um, piano player, and she's going to be a, a, you know, focus on that. So he, he's very impressed with her, and he's mostly impressed by her like hard work and her kind of natural gifts. But she's very uncultivated, unrefined, and we see how inadequate the education she got, her music education she got in Colorado, at least by Chicago kind of urban standards. And this is a theme I think Cather keeps coming back to again and again is the inadequacies of artistic life in, in these rural areas or in these frontier areas or these pioneer areas. She seems very, very harsh on it, almost resentful of what these kinds of parts of the country can offer to creative people. Um, and, and maybe there's something to that, right? You know, there's there's just the, the necessity of being in a place, the necessity of being around people in your field, the necessity of being around the best and the brightest in your field. And you're not going to get that in a small area, right? Now with the internet, maybe it's easier to get your name out there as an artist, no matter where you're from. But in, in these days, 
you really had to get to the right teachers, the right schools, the right form of forums, right? No one's going to care you perform for some backwater Colorado church, even if you were like the best musician that, you know, that was ever produced by that town. It doesn't matter to most of the world. You know, you just kind of get lost in it, right? But if we recall something that Carl in Old Pioneers complained about Chicago was, you know, you can be like a famous artist in a small town. In that case, it was Kansas. Or no, Nebraska, sorry. But when he went to Chicago, he kind of got lost in it. And he had to, like, he couldn't be as, as diverse an artist as he wanted to be, right? He had to do, like, bas reliefs instead of, you know, painting. And so he was more restrained, and he felt kind of lost in Chicago. So she's a bit ambivalent, I would say, depending on the character um, she's referring to. But certainly we see in this novel again and again just the limitations of, of, of what the small town can offer. And remember, Thea's teacher back in Colorado was a drunk. He had all sorts of social problems. He was kind of an aimless figure. So, you know, getting more, much more professional training was a, was a big step for her. And that's, that's his teacher, Harsani. And he's very, very impressed with her, obviously. Mostly impressed by, I think, her hard work. And we get a lot of descriptions of how how Thea was working at her music and how much Hersani responded to her her efforts. And this is this goes to such a degree that even her teacher is bothered and worried that you know she has what apparently had a lack of curiosity like she was so focused on her studies so focused on her work and what if she wasn't practicing with her and focused on her lessons there she was doing her church choir stuff and making money she wasn't interested in like museums and fashion and you know clothing and experiencing urban life in any way she she just kind of was working the whole time and this was something that bothers her her teachers a little bit her uh, does is concerned ever kind of lack of creativity and you know there's a question we can maybe ask of you know how much do we need to be of the world and engage in the world to be a great artist right technical skill only gets us so far right and, and that's probably true in a lot of fields not just not just art now one of the, the few moments in this section where we see actual joy in the, in Thea's life is when she's playing with kids I, I think the Harsani's invite her over and she has a chance to play with kids and it's kind of like she's back at home playing with Thor and with the other kids and she can kind of take her mind off of her her work and it's a nice little moment in this is also in section three of, of part two you know it, it just really reminded me of, of maybe of Thea reflecting on, on what it was like on home and maybe partially what she lost and that's going to be kind of a major theme of the second half of the novel is just how much she loses by pursuing uh, the artistic career. Now, Anda Hersani, her teacher, has a fairly interesting background. He's, he's still fairly young. He's 32, but he doesn't have a very distinguished musical career. It's, it's kind of the cliche, right? If you, can't, if you can't do it, you teach it, right? So you know, Harsani is one of those. Get a bit like um, whatever his name was, Wunst, Wunst, Wunst uh, the teacher back in, in Colorado. Um, but he actually, he suffered a, a massive injury. Um, as a younger man that gave him kind of this class eye what well, gave him this class eye and, and that's kind of a recognizable feature of his uh, of him but the it's it's kind of interesting in his background because it, it kind of reflects a little bit on on kind of the american dream and the american ideal and also this this con this emerging modernity which is a theme on the backdrop of this novel as well so i'll just read a bit that gets at this background of of her teacher 
Quote, his father was a musician and a good one, but he had cruelly overworked the boy, keeping him at his piano for six hours a day and making him play at cafes and dance halls for half the night. Andor ran away and crossed the ocean with his uncle, smuggled him through the ports of one of, as one of his own children. The explosion in which Andor was hurt killed a score of people, and he was thought lucky to get off with his eye. He still had a clipping from a Pittsburgh paper giving a list of the dead and injured. He appeared as Harsani Andor, left eye and slight injuries about the head. That was the first American notice, and he kept it. He held no grudge against the coal company. He understood that the accident was merely one of those things that are bound to happen, the general scramble of American life, where everyone comes to his, comes to grab and take his chance. End quote. So even just as just coming um, from, you know, immigrating to America, has this accident, he immediately is infused with this American spirit. <laughs> this, you know, that you know, you take your risk, you, you suffer the consequences of those risks. So it's in the same section, section three, where Hersani first hears Thea sing and is taken with her, her singing. And he, and he begins to, to push on that a bit more and tries to get her to practice singing and, and have her, you know, trying different passages, musical passages and things. And this is, this is all kind of in that first semester, if you will, after she gets to shower, that first fall into the winter. Uh, so by February, she'd been there for like four months, had been studying. And, you know, she really didn't explore the city at all, we're told. We're told that after four months, she basically only knew the boarding house and her sani and her, you know, her lessons and the, and the church. She really didn't venture out at all. So she's, she's presented as really sacrificing everything in her life, like any kind of social relations for her art. Quote, Thea never went into shops unless she had to, and she felt no interest in them. Indeed, she shunned them as places where one was sure to be parted from one's money in some way. She was nervous about counting her change, and she could not accustom herself to having her purchases set to her address. She felt much safer with her bundles under her arms. So some some women, some older women, decide to take Thea out and show her the town a little bit. And these women are, are Mrs. Lorsch and, and Mrs. Anderson, and actually they're, they're mother and daughter. Um, but they're both, I think, widowed. Um, Mrs. Lorsch owns the boarding house that Thea is staying in all that winter. And Mrs. Anderson is her daughter, but, you know, her daughter's or her husband's dead. Um, so they they decide to take her around. Now, Mrs. Anderson is actually a singer as well. I don't she's not like really famous or anything, but she she does. She knows opera. And she can, she's part of like a Mozart society. So they take her to like a concert to hear some opera. And they take her to like the art gallery. And that's where we see, she sees a lot of paintings. But she sees particularly this painting, The Song of the Lark. So I think it's interesting just to look at this passage, which shows, you know, shows what's in her head when she sees this, this painting. Quote, but in the same room, there was a picture. Oh, that was the thing she ran upstairs so fast to see. That was her picture. She imagined that nobody cared for it but herself and that it waited for her. That was the picture indeed. She liked even the name of it, the Song of the Lark. The flat country with the early morning light and the wet fields and the look on the girl's heavy face. Well, they were all hers. Anyhow, whatever, whatever, they, whatever was there. She told herself that the picture was right. Just what she meant by this, it would take a clever person to explain. But to her, the word covered the almost boundless satisfaction she felt when she looked at the picture i don't know i maybe there's some connection to kind of her more rule past i i think also the the image the feeling i get when i see that painting the song of lark is just someone who's 
who's overworked but kind of gazing into the into the distance. Um, but anyway, she's very taken by this 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 painting, and then you know we'll see if it comes up again. Probably will because it's the title of of the novel. So then they go to the symphony or the you know the concert. They hear some music, and so basically these two older women are are trying to show to show Thea around a little bit, so she's not quite so cloistered. Then we see a scene where where Hersani meets with uh, Theodore Thomas, the conductor of of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and he's Hersani's here basically to give up Thea. He may very much regrets doing this because he seems to have a lot of feelings for Thea as a student. Um, and is very impressed with her, but he realizes that he can't train her as a as a singer, and he can't really deal with this voice. And he thinks ba- basically this 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 young woman should be trained as as an opera singer. And so he talks to her, and and there's a description here about her voice and her qualities, and you know, you know her background, and everything. And and essentially, Thomas does you know do what he can to to help Thea get into you know, voice training. After getting this help from this conductor, Hersani sits down with Thea during one of her lessons and says, you know, you should be a singer and I'm encouraging you to do this. And here's what he says. My girl, you're very talented. You could be a pianist, a good one. But the early training of a pianist, such a pianist as you would want to be, must be something tremendous. He must have no other life than music. At your age, he must be master of the instrument. Nothing can ever take the place of the first training. You know very well that your technique is good, but it's not remarkable. It will never overtake your intelligence. You have a fine power of work, but you are not by nature a student. You are not by nature, I think, a pianist. You would fi- not never find yourself in the effort to do so. I'm afraid your playing would become warped, eccentric. Oh, well, I've watched you very carefully, Miss Cromberg, because you had had so little and yet have done so much for yourself. I have a great wish to help you. I believe that the strongest need of your nature is to find yourself, to emerge as yourself. Until I heard you sing, I wondered how you were to do this. But it's grown cl- clear on me every day. You have brains enough and talent enough, but to do what you will want to do, it'll take more than this. It takes vocation. Now, I think you have a vocation, but for the voice, not for the piano. If you knew, if you knew how fortunate I sometimes think you are, with the voice that way is so much shorter, the rewards are so much easier one. In your voice, I think nature herself did for you what it would take many years to do at the piano. Perhaps you were not you were not born in the wrong place after all. Let us talk frankly now. We have never done so before, and I have respected your reticence. What you want more than anything else in this world to be the artist is this true? And then she answers yes, and then he basically goes on and says, your future has to be in the voice. You have to use God's gifts, what God gave you to to make it in this world. And so she at this point pursues is in, then actively pursuing a career as as a singer so she starts to do um the singing lessons and and he sends her out off to this other teacher uh man named bowers and bowers is going to be the one to to to, to teach her but then she goes you know summer comes and she she returns home to to moonstone for her summer vacation and here we see her re- really returning to her roots. And, re- you know, she she didn't really have much connecting her back there, it seemed. When you read part one, it seems like she was losing a lot of her connections. And she had to leave, right, to push her art. But as she comes back, she starts to reconnect a little bit with her memories, with the people she knew. And, 
one thing I remember, you know, one thing we remember from part one is just how much she was interacting with different adults, right? Even though she was a, a teenager, she was interacting with people of a lot of different ages, and that was a big part of her education and her worldview. You know, whether it was Spanish Johnny and, or the other people in the Mexican community, or whether it was Ray Kennedy who died, or, or Dr. Archie, or her parents, or, or other people, she's 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 really interacting with a lot of different adults. So she's not kind of in the the public school system where all your all the adults you know are your parents or your teachers and they're all authority figures she i you know i, I wonder how different people's children's you know interactions with adults were in days before before public schooling and kind of this bourgeois life where everyone's kind of trapped into uh these little middle class um homes but anyway she goes um she takes the ride home uh, takes the train home and she actually uh, on the train she thinks a lot about Ray Kennedy and she thinks about what she's lost and with with him and and it's, I think this is the first time she ponders Ray Kennedy since his death and I think it's because she overhears like people on the train speaking in a way that reminded her of of Ray Kennedy and quote as she drew in that glorious air Thea's mind went back to Ray Kennedy he too had that feeling of empire as if all the Southwest really belonged to him because he had knocked over it so much and he knew it. And he said, like the blisters on his own hand, that feeling, she reflected, was the real element of companionship between her and Ray. Now that she was going back to Colorado, she realized this, as she had not done before, end quote. So that's a bit sad that, you know, she's, but this, she's fine. She, she remembers him again. And this kind of feeling of control over space is, is kind of interesting. It's very American, right? This, this, idea that the kind of these huge open spaces out in the West are, are ours, right? Whether we're the nation and we got this manifest destiny or we're the individual settlers and the pioneers cl- cl- grabbing our piece of land on the Homestead Act or, or whatever. Um, you know, if we remember Ray Kennedy always had these dreams of, of getting the big claim, of getting the silver mine or, you know, making it big and, and this or that speculation. One of the central events during her summer back in, in Moonstone is this is Spanish Johnny inviting her to this dance. And, you know, it's a really nice set piece in which we have, you know, all these characters and it's a really fun time. And, you know, it's this party, it's, it's multicultural. And, and she's, and there's singing going on. And she wants to sing me part of it, but she can't. And it's, it's interesting about this is all the singing around her is very unrefined and very, vulgar in a way and not edu- you're not trained and she's been so focused on like the proper training and technique and everything but these people are just singing for joy and it's a very different experience with music than the one she had in chicago and maybe that's something she loses by pursuing kind of the formal artistic training right where everything has to be perfect and you know you know maybe some of the joy of, of just singing for for pleasure is taken out when it becomes a craft and it becomes an art Quote, Johnny had almost every fault that a tenor can have. His voice was thin, unsteady, husky in the middle tones, but it was a distinctly a voice and something he managed to get something very sweet out of. Certainly it made him happy to sing. Thea kept glancing down at him as he lay there on his elbow. His eyes seemed twice as large as usual, and the lights on them in the moonlight made on black running water. Thea remembered the old stories of his spells. She had never seen him when his madness was on him, but she felt something tonight at her, at her elbow that gave her an idea of what it might be like. End quote. Oh. You know, that's a good question we can have. Is like, does Thea ever really enjoy singing? Is it something she she ever expresses joy over? Not really that I see. You know, it's just work for her, and it's something she's working f- towards, a goal. 
but we don't get that moment where she feels the great pleasure in in music that she experiences at this dance. So I think this is kind of an important set piece in in and when she finally does sing for at this dance, it's that first moment where we see her experiencing happiness and joy, you know, through through music. Um, and then the last chapter of part two deals with a lot of kind of different family issues as she's, you know, you know, talking with different people in the community and things like that. But I think the heart of this last section is is the realization among Dr. Archie of his growing feelings for Thea. Now, Thea is, of course, growing up. I, I think she's not even a teenager anymore. She's a full adult. And and so, you know, these these people who've known her for a long time and seen her growing up and, and seen her talent start to, you know, develop more of an interest in her romantically. You know, before it was Ray Kennedy, but she was young and it was still a few years away before he could ever marry her. But, you know, we, we see Archie really falling in love with, with Thea. Quote, so it went, one loved a quaint little girl, cheerful, industrious, always on the run and hustling through her tasks, and suddenly one lost her. He had thought he knew that child like a glove on his hand, but about this tall girl who threw up her head and glittered all around, all over, he knew nothing. She was goaded by desires, ambitions, revulsions that were dark to him. One thing he knew, the old high road of life, worn safe and easy, huddled in sunny slopes, would scarcely hold her again. After that night, Thea could have asked pretty much anything of him. He could have refused her nothing. Years ago, a crafty little bunch of hair and smiles had shown him what she wanted, and he had prompt, and he had promptly married her. Tonight, the very different sort of girl, driven wild by doubts and youth, by poverty and riches, had led him see the fierceness of her nature. She went out still distraught, not knowing or caring what she had shown him. But to Archie, knowledge of that sort of obligation was obligation. Oh, he was the same old Howard Archie. And then in the final scene of, of part two, uh, as she gets on the train and return to return to Chicago, she reflects on how much she's grown in the past few months and, and how much more assertive she is and how much older she's become and how much more committed to that. And her final thoughts as she leaves Moonstone is that she's going to fight and that she was probably not going to be coming back to town, that this was she was going full into fully into um, her life as as a singer. So she's really turning her back on on Moonstone. So uh, that does it. So what happens in part two? Again, it's just she begins her education, her music education in Chicago. She she focuses on her work. She she makes a little bit of money as a singer at a at a at a, at a choir, a church choir. But uh, when her piano teacher finds out that she has a beautiful voice, he abandons her to uh, a more skilled and uh, you know a a, a, a music. A, a singing instructor who we'll learn more about in part three. He's not the, the nicest person. In fact, her previous teachers at all had, a, I guess, a much warmer relationship with Thea than, than Bowers will. But we'll, we will know more about Bowers in, in part three. Uh, and then we have this kind of summer vacation back at home and the experiences she have and her reinvestment in her commitment to become an artist as she returns to Chicago. So that's what we see happen in part two of Song of the Lark. So that's going to do it for this episode. In the next episode, I'll look at, I'll look at a full two parts. I'll look at parts three and four of, of Song of the Lark, and which will get us to the last 100 pages or so of, of the book. 
Um, so as always, thanks for listening. Um, I'm sure there's a lot I missed or a lot I misinterpreted or, or got wrong. So if you have your own thoughts about Song of the Lark, please send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or you can leave a comment below. I would love to hear from you and respond to your, your thoughts and comments. The best way to reach me actually is an email because I don't really always get notices when someone just leaves a, a comment. Um, so yeah, send me an email if you can. Uh, but yeah, again, thanks so much for listening and for sharing this little journey through American writing. So I'll see you next time was I'll, where I'll cover part th- uh, three and four of A Song of the Lark. It'll be part three in my series um, on, on the novel. So see you next time. Yeah.